I'm a good person and I'll prove it to you, says the moralist. Look at my life and see all the good things that have happened to me. This proves that God and I are on good terms. That's the argument that Paul will address and defeat in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You might want to turn your Bibles there. Hello folks, I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The human tendency is to seek to save ourselves and then to prove that we're succeeding in our pursuit by pointing to the benefits that we're receiving in our lives. But you can go terribly wrong and be experiencing wonderful help from God. It happens all the time. Paul says this. Let's start with God, Paul says. God is a God who is rich in goodness and forbearance and patience or long-suffering towards everyone. God is good to everyone. God is forbearing to everyone. God is long-suffering. God is patient to everyone. Let's look at these three words here for a second. The goodness of God is God's readiness and willingness to give us advantages in life. As parents, you're good to your children. You try to find just the right school clothes for them to send them off to school. You try to help them with their homework because you want them to be successful. You put a band-aid on their owies when they fall down. You give them advice and counsel on how it is they can get by in this world. You feed them and you do different things. And really what you want is there's something within you because they're an extension of yourself. You want them to be successful. And God has made us. And God has created us. God takes ownership of his creation and he wants us to succeed. He wants us to do well in life. And so God does this for him. He's good to all. He seeks the advantages of all. And this is seen in the common graces that come to all people. And graces that you receive every single day that you cannot number. I mean, if we were to take time here, this isn't a classroom. If I asked you to think of common graces, you would exhaust yourself. What is the common grace in your life that makes you particularly thankful? And if you thought about it, you'd go, how could I identify one? If you really were thinking, there's so many. It's like a person asks me, why do you love your wife? What's the one reason why you love your wife? The one reason I couldn't exhaust today thinking of all the reasons why I love my wife. How do I love the, let me count the ways? Not possible. Can't count the ways. What are the common graces of your life? Not possible to number them. Uh, Let's just start with taste buds. I'm glad we've got them, right? They're good things. The ability to see color. I like that too. Having depth perception comes in handy every once in a while, especially when something's being thrown at you. And these are common graces in life, and they're more. They just compound and compound and compound, and you live in the benefit of, of a world that is not in chaos because God governs us and he sends our way graces day in and day out. Saying that God is good, that he's rich in goodness, is another way of saying God is rich in grace. And the reason why we say that is because You don't deserve them. We don't. Paul has just said that the moralist is inexcusable in his guilt. He's just said that he will not escape the righteous judgment of God if he continues in his moralistic ways. And then God tells the moralist, God is good to you. He's rich in goodness towards you. Now what does that mean? You don't deserve it. But he still is rich in goodness to you. 
He gives you things that you don't deserve, and I'm just going to suggest to you that that's the case with you as well. The rich man can't say, well, see how good my life is? That means I'm a good person. Nah, you're getting what you don't deserve. God is just good towards you, and so this man does not deserve these good things from God. It's God giving him or her what is not deserved, and that is, by the way, the essence of what grace is. God gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us good things, and he is full of rich with goodness. He is rich with grace towards us. Next thing he says is he's rich in forbearance. The word here is a picture of a God who holds up the burden of a fallen world and keeps the worst of the fallen world of what we even would bring upon ourselves and what we deserve from coming falling and raining down upon our heads. So, not only do we not deserve the good things we experience, but it's showing us here that God forbears. He bears with or restrains the evil that we would bring upon our lives because of our own selfishness and because of our choices. There are things that take place. When I was a kid, I was sometimes, oftentimes actually, waiting for the other foot to fall, right? I had a bit of a tender conscience. And so, you know, I knew I did things I shouldn't do, and I was waiting for my comeuppance. And I have to tell you the truth, most of the time, it didn't come. It just came often enough that I kept waiting for it to come. You know, when I was a little boy, I don't know what it was that I did that was wrong or what my parents, I don't think it's anything my parents taught me, but when I was really little, if I ever heard a siren or saw a police car, I would, we would be driving around the streets, I would lay out on the bottom of the car. I was sure they were coming to get me, you know. It was probably my siblings who had ground that into my mind, you know, that I was just a naughty little boy and I'd believe them, but it goes on with our lives, actually. We prove it out. We do things that are wrong. We do things that are selfish. We do things that we shouldn't do. And we think, oh, you know, I, if you really think about it, I'm waiting for that backlash to come upon me. And so often it doesn't come. And the reason is God is restraining. God is forbearing so that we don't encounter the full onslaught of what we would bring upon ourselves. We'll see this a little bit more as we go further and further in the book of Romans, but let me take you to a passage of scripture that describes the state of the world today. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to read to you verses 6 and 7. I'll just give you a little bit of background. The people think in the book of Thessalonians that Paul's writing to think that they have come to the end of days, that they've come to the time in which the Antichrist is going to be revealed and he's going to wreak his havoc on the earth. Maybe they're looking at someone like Nero and they're saying, Nero's the Antichrist and it's broke out upon us, Paul is writing to them to tell them, now that's not what's taking place right now. This man, this Antichrist, which he calls the man of lawlessness, in the last days when there's this horrific judgment that comes upon the world, it's not happened yet because there's something in place that's keeping that from happening. And he writes in verses 6 and 7 what it is that's taking place. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Just let you know that the lawless one, the Antichrist, has not been revealed. You're not in the throes of the end time and the final judgment and the wrath of the last days. You're not in the middle of all that because there's someone who's restraining and he's putting a restraint on all these things. And before this outcome takes place, you read the book of Revelation and you, do, you read the description of all the horrible things that will take place and all the plagues that will come upon the earth. Before that takes place, there's a restraint that's going to be removed. And I understand that restraint to be the Holy Spirit. 
God himself, the spirit of God that's restraining and holding back the impulses of evil that are in the midst of our world and in our own human hearts. It's like he's suppressing a volcanic eruption and yet we ignore him and we don't respond to him and there's day coming when God will unleash upon us his judgment and his judgment will be that he'll just merely stop restraining the evil potential in us all. And there'll be an explosion and eruption judgment because we'll be left to ourselves. But here's what God is doing right now. The very worst that you're capable of doing God has set all kinds of restraints around you. He gives you social restraints. He gives you the restraint of your own conscience. He gives you the strain of the culture and the society that you live in. And then on top of that, he, he holds it down by his own power and his own spirit, restraining those things. So you don't experience the worst of things. And in the midst of that, damning back all of that, he, he lets pour out to you daily goodness in your life. So what is that? What is forbearance? If goodness and the stream of goodness is grace, what is forbearance? It's mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And God in forbearance is holding back from you, getting what you do deserve. This is not just the consequences of your own actions interacting with the evil of this world and it just ramping up and getting worse and worse, but... There's also that God forbears in his judgment against us. God forbears in his own righteous judgment against us. The Bible says there's the coming a day in which we'll stand before the righteous judge. That's what Paul will say here in verse 5. But God is forbearing in that. He's holding it back. It's like he's restraining his justice from falling upon us. And as he forbears, instead, God is pouring out upon us goodness. And God is pouring out upon us grace an expression of his desire to bring us to his mercy and to his forgiveness. The next thing it says he's long-suffering. And basically that just means that God endures in this position. God endures in this disposition towards his creatures and towards us. He endures in goodness. He's good to all. His tender mercies are over all. See that? Good, gracious to all, merciful to all. He endures in this... He suffers in the midst of this while individuals ignore him and mock him and deny his truth and turn from him. And yet in all of it, God endures because he longs to bring us all to his salvation. 2 Peter verses 3-9 explains what is God's heart and God's mind as he endures in his goodness towards us and he endures in his forbearing or holding back from us the full onslaught of what we deserve. There it says... The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. And by the way, the promise, right, God is going to come back and judge the earth. Where is that taking place? Because he's also promised that, right? There is going to be a day of judgment. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. He's enduringly patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that brings us to the second point in Paul's argument to the moralist who says, oh, all these good things that are happening in my life is proof that I'm in a good situation. He says, no, that just proves that God is gracious and that God is merciful. That's all. It doesn't prove that you've done anything right. It doesn't prove that you're in a positive relationship with God where you've earned your salvation by being just a little bit better than somebody else that you're judging. No. It just shows that God is good to you like he's good to everyone and God is merciful to you like he's merciful to everyone. And, and then he explains the reason for God 
behaving in this way or acting this way towards them. The second thing he says is God has a reason for all this. God designs that his goodness, his graciousness, and his mercy would lead people to repent and turn to him. Repentance is just turning away from your sin and your own selfish pursuits and your own self-salvation. It's to turn to God and see that he was pursuing you and wants you and that he wants to save you and he wants to redeem you and he wants to give you a righteousness that is deep and lasting and eternal that comes from self as a gift. And God is gracious and good to you, constantly good to you. God is merciful, forbearing and holding back the worst upon you in order that you might in all these things be drawn to him and turn to him. He's doing this out of his love for you. He is patiently stirring and coaxing and leading people to turn to him through his goodness. Might we see this? That the purpose of all the common graces in your life, taste buds, color for your vision, order in your world, enjoyment in relationships, whatever it is, that they are all expressions of God's desire to bring you to himself. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to SavingEvangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.